You are listening to Freedom Church STL. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit freedomchurchstl.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy this message. Let's get our Bibles out. We have some work to do. Come on now. Come on now. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 38. This is going to be kind of our foundational of where we're going to end up today. Well, we're going to be all over the place. So let me just be honest with you. If you are somebody that uh, is taking notes, uh, it's going to be tough for you today in a sense of how many scriptures we are going to be dealing with. But you can always go back and listen to it on the podcast. Uh, I, I hope you're taking advantage of that. We have a lot of people that listen to that. Uh, if it's been down for a bit, uh, we haven't had it updated in a few weeks. Uh, that's just because my son has been affected. He's actually the one that gets all of those things done. Can we just as a church just say thank you for that? We appreciate it. We appreciate it. He had, he had surgery on his lower back, and, and, um, and he's doing well. And uh, But that's kind of been the thing that's delayed it. But we're going to get those back up and running this week. And, uh, and so then you can kind of go back and listen to it at your own pace to make sure that you get all the notes that you need to do. Okay? Well, let's pray before we jump into this. Father God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive, that it is active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to divide me to my very core. It's able to take things in my life that I have set up as truths and all of a sudden your word and the power of the Holy Spirit come in and go, we need to talk about that. We need to see if that thing that you think is the way you're right, the right way of thinking, does it lead to me and does it lead to life? And thankfully every time you don't condemn me, but you convict me unto life. So thankful for that. Father, today as we gather over your word and we just deal with some, some foundational pieces that you desire us as a church to be able to stand on, Father, let our ears be open, our hearts be receptive. Why? So that we can just get knows so that we will be wise enough and equipped enough to be able to give. Mature us up today, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, the last couple of weeks we started, right after Easter, we started teaching a, a series on what we believe as this church, as Freedom Church, right? If you, how many of you have been here longer than five years? Raise your hand. Look at all of you beautiful people. It is amazing. If, I'll tell you, if you've been here listening to me longer than five years, that in itself proves there's a God. That right there just proves there's a God, right? I, I could just go mic drop, end it, be done. Right? If you could put up with me for longer than five years, wow, wow, God is doing a work. I heard way too many amens on that, but somehow that came from my child. I think I heard that from my, my, my oh, my mother-in-law. Well, that's, I'll give that one to her. I'll, I'll let that one slide. I'll let that one slide. But right after Easter, we decided to start a series on what we believe and just to really make sure that as a church, foundationally, doctrinally, that we're all standing in the same location, Right? Right? We don't want to be confusing to the world. We don't. We don't want there to be a doctrine that, that Ryan lives by, a doctrine that Sonia lives by, a doctrine that Eric lives by, and it's all based on what they want and what they pick and choose. What we want as believers is to go, what does this say and will say that? Right? 
What does this say will stand there? I don't care if I don't like it. I don't care if it rubs me the wrong way. I don't care if it takes me out of what I want to do. I'm standing here. I'm going to say this. I'm going to land here. This is my foundation. And most of you are going, well, why do I need a doctrine? Why do I need Christian doctrine in my life? Well, because you already had a worldly doctrine that you lived by prior to coming to Christ. And so the Word, in doing what the Word does, it restores that which is broken and renews it back to life and causes us to walk towards God. Does that, you follow me on that? So we have to replace that which is old that leads to death with that which is life that points to God. And as a church, if we don't have a reason, if we don't have an answer for the hope that we live with, then we are, number one, not a mature church. We are not equipped. And as your pastor, I failed you. And so we're doing everything that we can to make sure that we are putting everybody in this house in the proper position, not just to get, but to be able to give. Right? That's the whole point of this. And so the last couple of weeks, we, we kind of started and we used this great example of, of a ladder, this amazing piece of equipment that everybody gets nervous when I start walking and climbing up it, right? Right? Oh, right? And so we, taught, we started using this ladder as this example because it's a great way to look at it. Right? You'll never look, you'll never go into a Home Depot or a Lowe's or paint something on the wall. You'll never look at a ladder again without seeing biblical worldview. And what we started with was this. What is at the very top? What is it's all start with? If the piece up here falls apart, everything down here falls apart. So what's at the top? Do anybody remember? The one? God. Yes, I mean, this is always one of those good times where you just say, just say God right? But it's not just God, it's the authority of God, right? That everything that is, everything that is that you experience, that you see, everything that is tangible to your five senses, where did it come from? God. So he owns it. If he created it, we believe and we know he has the rights to it, right? And we talked about that. We talked about if God started this whole thing, he created this whole thing, then that means he has the right to define it. He has the right to shape it. He has the right to say, these are the rules of this, right? Because if somebody owns the game, they define the rules. Are you following me on this? That's how it works. And then we jumped into the Word of God. And why do we go straight into the Word of God and the authority of the Word of God? Because we need to understand that the guy that created this, the God that created this in the beginning, is not hidden. And we have to believe and we have to have a foundation that the Word of God, His Word that He gave us, that starts down here, that starts running down. We haven't even got to creation, to man. But what starts running down to us was given not for your sake, but to reveal Him. Meaning... The Word of God, we had to really make sure that we understood this. The Word of God is not about you. It's not a roadmap to your life. It's not a roadmap to all of the riches of the world. It is to reveal the creator of the universe. You follow me on this? All right? Because a lot of people will get into the Word, and if we see the Word through the context that, that oh, it's, it's there to lead me and, and be a roadmap for my life. It's not, it's a, and it's a terrible roadmap, right? 
Because it's never told me what I need at the grocery store. It's never given me directions on how to get to Kirksville quicker when there's a tractor broke down between here and there on 63. It's never done any of that. So maybe, just maybe, its job isn't to give me a roadmap to lead me because I'm the main focus. Maybe its job is to give me a picture of the God that created me so that I can see myself as creation in the view of the Creator. Right? And then last week, what did we talk about last week? We talked about the Messiah. We talked about the Creator God having a plan in the Word and in the Word becoming flesh. Becoming flesh. We talked about why that was needed, why we need a Messiah, why we need a Savior, why we need somebody, and make sure that we don't just see Jesus as somebody that's here to pump us up to get to God, but that Jesus came because we down here can never get to God on our own. We saw that. We had to kind of make sure that we're seeing that clearly, that Jesus didn't come just to make Ed and Ellie better. Just hard to do because they're great people, right? Well, Ellie, Ed's a little shifty. <laughs> but he didn't just come to, to be a cheerleader and boost us up. He came to do the very thing that you cannot do, right? And so now we kind of get into this week. We're going to deal with kind of two things, basically our response. So, so what do we do with that? Well, there's two things, and let's look at Acts. So now that we know that God is the authority of all things, that he gave his word to not just guide us through our life, but to guide our life to him, to reveal him, and that Jesus came to do the very thing that we could do. Now what is our response? What is our theological, doctrinal, as a church response to this understanding? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Acts chapter 2, what verse did I tell you to go to? That sounds like a good one. And it says this. Peter replied, repent. This is basically, let me, let me just give you a backstory. They, Peter's just basically read these guys the riot act. He's basically been like, Jesus, yeah, that guy, the guy that just died, he was the one we've been waiting on, and you killed him, right? So he is just cutting to the heart of these people, and their response to this is, is what do we do? And he gives them this response. Now that we understand he is who he says he is, he did what he said he was going to do. What is our response? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You follow me on this? So our response, there is not just a work that Jesus did completed on the cross. There wasn't just a work that Jesus came to do and it said, it's done, it's over, there's nothing else that needs to happen. Now there is a response from creation. I have now recognized what's taken place. What is my response back to it? Follow me on this? And so I want to deal with this kind of in backwards order. I want to deal with baptism first, and then we're going to talk about repentance. Is that okay? Yes. And again, most of us, this is, I could spend, let me just be honest with you. Let me, I'm not going to be prideful and think that I can wrap up this entire topic in the next four hours. I have nothing to do today. I, I'm not going to be so prideful that I think I can get through this all. I'm dealing with these things at very high levels. Fair enough? But I just want to make sure that we have an understanding of what we believe, okay? So let's look at baptism first. Even though that we know baptism is a response, baptism as a church, we believe in baptism. 
We believe that when a, when, when a non-believer comes and accepts this ladder and says, oh yeah, he did what he said he was going to do, my response to that is now an outward response, public response, right? Not walking an aisle, not praying a prayer. That is not the public response. The public response that Jesus talks about is baptism. When he says repent and be baptized, this is what he's talking about. This is that outward display that something has happened inwardly in our lives. Something has changed. We've gone from death unto life, and now we're doing this. And so let's just kind of back up this uh, um, scripturally so that we can take a look at this. All right, are you still with me? All right, good. So we as a church, we believe that baptism is a public and visual statement signifying that our lives are no longer our own and that we desire to come into discipleship relationship with the local church. So it's twofold. We've talked about that, right? Baptism not only signifies to God, I'm standing for you publicly. It also signifies I am standing with the church and I am saying I am a part of this community. I am putting myself under authority. I'm putting myself in a position to be discipled, to lead me away from death things and death patterns unto life. That's what we're talking about. All right, so this is that visual thing. And, and you see this, and I want you to understand this. Without exception, without exception in the New Testament, baptism is always tied to repentance and faith from the person that's getting baptized. Meaning this, me as a dad cannot repent for my family and my kid get baptized, and that's biblically what counts. You follow me on this? Every time you see in the New Testament talking about baptism, it is intertwined. It is linked with a non-believer believing, repenting, and then acting on that. Nobody can substitute that for you. Nobody can go around that. Why do I bring that up? Well, I'm going to touch on something that, that, that I think we need to touch on. Because number one, we live in a, I mean, how many of you were, were baptized when you were a baby? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of people here, right? A lot of people, I mean, we're in, we're in St. Louis, right? St. Louis, right? St. Louis. Baptists don't put saint in things. Methodists don't put saint in things, right? So we come from an area, and, and not even just a Catholic background, but there are other Methodists do this. There's a lot of churches that do this. And listen, we're not, this isn't the hill we're going to die on. Follow me on this. But us as a church, we believe when we look at Scripture that baptism follows a choice. It follows. Anywhere in the New Testament, we walk through that, and we see that baptism follows a personal choice from that. Now, and I'm going to be completely honest, there are great men of God. There are amazing people that I am going to enjoy heaven with that will be, I'll have a mansion and they'll have a mansion right next to me that would tell you, and they do, they baptize children. And guess what? They're still going to get to heaven. This isn't a deal breaker. You hear what I just said? So I'm not, I'm not stating this as an argument factor. I'm stating as a church, when we break down scripture, when we break down scripture when it comes to water baptism, we can, I only link it and I only see where we fall is I see that it is a personal choice done from the repentee 
then becomes the baptizee. Are you following me on this? Okay. And why am I saying that? Well, because you should be able to say that. You should be able to explain why, you're, why you might be uh, 55 years old and getting baptized. You, you should be able to explain why a 30-year-old man is getting baptized that, that, that maybe was baptized when they, were, when they were an infant. You should be able to explain that. You should be able to look and go, well, the New Testament, why we do this, why we do this is because everywhere we link the Bible, every time we read the New Testament, we see in there that it's linked to a personal decision. So we as a church believe when somebody comes to Christ, they follow that with, I'm now making a choice. I get to make the choice, not my family. Now, I'm not, I'm not writing on my mom and dad's faith that I would be. See, that's what infant baptism is. Infant baptism is them believing. It's the parent's faith that God's working out is going to take place in that child's life. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you understand we dedicate babies here at Freedom Church? The only difference is, is I don't pour water on them. So there's no difference than that. So, so I, I, don't make this into like, oh, he can't stand the Catholics or the Methodists or all that. No, it's not. It's just we, when we look at this as a church, we should be able to stand and go, the reason I, a 45-year-old man that was baptized when I was a baby on my parents' faith, I've come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I've come to the knowledge that he saved me. And I'm choosing to make a public profession through the baptismal waters for myself. See, churches have split over this and made a big deal and people have gone left and people have gone right. This is not an argument point. This is just a point of, this is a personal choice for the believer. You follow me on this? Okay? All right. So I, I'm trying to give us, and I know you're sitting there going, well, this isn't very rah, rah, rah stuff. Yeah, it's called doctrine. It's called stuff that we need to know so that we're not confusing to people that we talk to. Because you just might talk to somebody. You just might talk to somebody that's been baptized when they were an infant. And they come to the knowledge of Christ. And then they hear you talk about baptism now following that. And they might go, well, why do we need to do this? Well, what does the word say? Not your opinion, but what does the word say? And the word says things like this. And I'll just read through a couple of these. Are you with me still? Nobody wants to throw a rock at me yet? We're all good on this? I just want to make sure. We were therefore, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 4. I told you we're going to go through a lot here. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into the death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism symbolizes us joining with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were baptized by one spirit so to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Follow me on this. Baptism in the community of a church. It's the, it's the ultimate leveler. It's the ultimate field leveling thing. Because I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, we're all going through the waters. We're all identifying and coming together over Christ. Are you following me on this? Huh? So whether you are rich or poor, it doesn't matter. We're all identifying through the baptismal waters that my richness didn't get me here. My poorness didn't get me here. My, my standing, my social standing, my lack of social standing didn't get me here. It is because I am identifying with what Christ did in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. See, that's the ultimate thing. That's what, you guys got to remember this. 
See, this is where churches get wonky. Churches get wonky when they think it's just a bunch of people that, that like each other and like to hang out and, and have lunch. And, and that church is really about just a really great community where people just really like each other. And we have social structures and our kids play t-ball together. No, a church that is bound together has the understanding that each and every one of us have come to this place not because of what we can brag in, not because of what we had or didn't have. We came to this place and we are joined together through the baptismal waters and identifying with Christ. See, that's the thing that links the church together. Are you following me on this? Are you seeing why this is kind of important? Why it's kind of an important doctrinal piece? Okay, so now, and I could spend another year on, on baptism, and we know that baptism does not save. We know that baptism is not something that you get baptized and that's how you save, as if something magical happens in the water. Right? I know Carrie Underwood sang a song about that, but I'm telling you, it's still just water. Right? Nothing magical happened in the water. Right? It's great water, but what happens, it has to be done in the heart of man first. Because if I take you, and this is going to transition us into us, if I take you, if I take Ryan here, and Ryan does not have a repentful heart, and he hasn't turned to God, and he hasn't seen God as the authority, and seen himself in the light of this, and seen himself as broken, and evil, and wicked, and terrible, right? All those things that we talked about last week of why Jesus came to save us. If he doesn't see that, and he's just like, yeah, I'm at church, and maybe I'll get baptized. That'll, be, that'll work, because that's what the church does. I could take him and dunk him a hundred times, and the internal would not change. We can never change internally by the external. You follow me on this? So I could take you in the water. I could hold Ryan down till the bubbles slow down. I could hold him down and just one, bloop, 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 bring him up. Right? And still internally, if he has not repented, which is what the Bible says in Acts. So what do we do? We need to repent and then be baptized. So let's talk about repentance. Are you still with me today? Is this too much for us? Are we mature enough to walk through this? Huh? Listen, we can, if, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I get to see you guys on a weekly basis, right? Like, uh, you guys got up, took showers, got kids ready, right? Shouldn't you leave here with some, like, I want to leave. I don't ever want to come to church and I get like, just like a snippet. Give me some, give me some substance, man, right? I want to leave here. I want to make all of this, this is a, this is a, this is important, right? All right, so let's look at repentance. If you're still with me, and I know you are. So the Bible said when Peter would reply to those people, now that you've cut us to the heart, how do I respond to this? Well, in Acts, it would say you would repent and be baptized. Now let's deal with repentance. I know it's kind of going backwards, but this is where our struggle really begins. So the first thing I want to do is this. I want to answer the question of why we need Christ. Because here's the thing. Why would we need Christ to, to save us? Why would we need him to, to start this? And I'm glad you asked that in Romans Chapter 3, starting in verse 20, it says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, the law, I'm sorry, rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sins. Meaning this, 
Well, didn't we have the law? Don't I have the Ten Commandments? What if I just do those ten? Won't I be good? Won't I just, if I just do that, well, well, we already have this law. Why do I need to repent? I'll just do that. But the reality of it is, is we need to see that Jesus came because he came to fulfill something that the law could not do. Let's keep going. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 3. It says this, for what the law was powerless to do because if, I'm sorry, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, meaning what the law was designed to do, what, meaning this is the way, it couldn't complete that because it was being done by broken people. So it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might fully be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Remember, God started this whole thing, God's authority, God sets the order of things. If Jesus does not come to fulfill the payment of sin that we have, the the, the sin payment that we can't pay, that we tried through the law, man, I'll just do the law, I'll just do the law. But I realize if I just do the law, all I'm realizing is how much more sinful I am, right? Jesus comes and says, listen, I'm going to do that which the law cannot do. I'm going to, I'm going to complete this, and not only am I going to complete it, I am now going to give you the power to walk in what you were supposed to walk in. You follow me on this? So you need to see this. You need to see that the God and his authority to remain a righteous God, a righteous death had to be placed. If Jesus doesn't die and God just overlooks it, he loses his authority and loses his righteousness. Are you following me on that? Does that make sense? So now, so what is our response to that? What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that too. So it says this, so so why do we need to repent? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says this, The wrath of God, yes, wrath of God, is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Let me just stop. Actually, let's keep going. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Let me say that. Let me make that clear to you. God in creation, whether you had his word or not, when I do this, I know something, whether I want to believe it or not, had to create that breath and that substance to keep me alive. So whether I want to say it out loud, whether I want to look at it and go, I don't know how those trees were made. I don't know how that sky was made. I don't know how that big flaming ball stays where it is all day. I don't know how the moon knows when to come up. I don't know that stuff. Meaning God says, even if you don't have my word, you cannot deny that I am here. But man, for although they knew God, us, 
in verse 21. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What he is saying there is this. The reason that we need to repent is because we have no excuse of denying God. Even if you sit there and say, oh, uh, uh, I, 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 I'm a pretty good guy. No, your biggest problem is that you've denied God over and over and over. Because listen to me, if you see the authority of God as he's the creator of all things, that should shape how you walk through your dailies. But what we do as man is this. Well, I'll just take the immortal God and turn him into an image or an idol of what I like. It'll be, and maybe you haven't created an idol that looks like a snake or a tree or a reptile, but you've made an idol of recreation. You've made an idol of your, of your schedule and your plans. You've made an idol of your money, your finances. You've made an idol of your job. You've made an idol of your position. You've taken God and said, I don't like this. I'm going to deny this and shape something that I can control. And I'll worship that. And so the reason we need to repent, if anything else, is because we've denied the creator of the universe. Pastor Chris, this better get happy soon. I want you to see this. I want you to go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. It says this. In verse 8 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. You ever been around somebody that just acts like they're always right? Imagine that on the fullness of a scale all the way down to their heart. There's nothing I do that is wrong. That is the heart of man. That is the lie of man. I am right unto myself. I love it in verse 10. It says this, If we claim we have not sinned, <laughs> we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. We basically look up here and what he says and, and what it says in the word and says, You, the creator of all things, the one that gives me the breath to breathe, you're a liar. I'm perfect. Think about that. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 28, 13? I'm glad you asked. It says this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses renounces them and finds mercy. Isn't that good? Huh? So now let's talk about this. It says, let, let's look at this from the perspective of a non-believer. Because we kind of wrap repentance to somebody that's coming to Christ, right? Somebody that's come from the place of now I see God as the creator. I see Christ as the fulfillment of the plan that reaches me. And so we say, you need to do what? You need to repent and be baptized. And so in the context of that, we see even in Matthew where Jesus, his first message, his first message was what? Repent. For why? The kingdom of heaven is near. Meaning, you need to repent. Why? Because this has come close. And the closer this gets to you, this is a revealer of how broken you are. You've heard me say there's not one righteous. Not even one. 
You've heard me say that if you sit here and say that you have no sin, that you make God a liar. And so Jesus would say, man, the kingdom of heaven is near. What is your response going to be? Well, you need to repent. You need to repent. And we say that to the new believer. You need to repent and come to Christ and make him your Lord. And we believe that. We believe that that is the starting point. But the problem is, is I believe that right now I'm talking to a lot of believers. And the thing that I'm fearful of is that sometimes the word repentance as a believer ages begins to fall away. And we begin to believe the lie that repentance is only for those that go to an altar. Repentance is only for those that come down and cry and those that come back and have been out in the world and they come back to church, yeah, they need to repent. Yeah, they need to get to the altar. Yeah, they need to come down and cry. Oh, look at them repent. And we rejoice about that. But as believers that have been doing this a while, man, we struggle and we kind of think, oh, that's for somebody else. But in the context of us as believers, hey, do this for me real quick and we'll end here. Go to 2 Chronicles. That's in the Old Testament. I want to take a passage that I think we've heard a lot this last year. Going through this pandemic, going through this struggle that's always been a struggle in our world, man versus man, man thinking that their way is right. No, my way is right this division that we've been dealing with. And, and this passage has been read a lot. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, and I'll just read it. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? Pray and do what? And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Sounds like repentance. Then I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will do what? Heal their land. How many of you have heard that passage this year? Oh, America, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If we would just humble ourselves, if we would just seek his face and, and turn from our wicked ways, he would heal our land. And I believe that is biblically accurate. God is a healer of land. The only problem is, as older believers, this is how we hear this passage. We hear this, that we should pray, that we should, that he will hear us from heaven, and that he will heal our land. We leave out all of the parts of turning from our wicked ways. We leave all the parts of seeking him. All we hear is we should pray, he's going to hear us, and he's going to heal our land and make everything better. See, that's, I think, the problem with the, the, quote, mature believer, as if repentance is no longer a thing for us. But yet we, we as believers, there is still things in us that constantly I have to repent for. Can I tell you something I get scared of? I get very, very nervous. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. When I haven't been convicted for a couple of days to repent about something, I'm nervous about that. And you would say, oh, well, how messed up are you? You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. 
No, but the reason I'm saying that is not because I'm doing something wicked. What I'm saying that is when I get far away from that feeling and that conviction of I need to repent from things, then I, what is, what I know what is going on is I am now taking more control over my life. I am saying I am right. I am that proverbial no. Everything is good. I don't need to do. I am seeing my world not through this lens. I'm starting to see it through my eyes. You follow me on that? Because if I'm seeing him, if I am seeing him on a regular basis, do you realize that every time I come into his presence, his light is going to shine on me, not to condemn me, but to point something else out that is leading to death that I need to deal with, and that is the goodness of the Father? And so if I get away from that, then I must not be in his presence enough. You follow me on this? And so repentance, what I worry about is that we want the benefits of God being in our life, but we want to dismiss the thing that gets us access to the benefits. Let me tell you a silly story, and I'll end with this. Most of you know Steve Evers. If you don't, he's a, uh, just an awesome guy, but he's so funny. Steve, a long time ago, at one point said, I need to lose some weight, right? Because Steve is known for eating. Actually, Steve is known for eating from the day he gets up to the time he goes to bed, right? He just devours, right? I, he is literally, how many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? You know when they talk about first lunch, second lunch, third lunch, first dinner, third dinner? That's Evers, right? That is Evers. Well, one time he decided, he said, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose a little weight, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a meal replacement shake. Every morning, I'm going to take this meal replacement shake, and I'm going to just have that instead of my normal big breakfast. And he started doing that. And every day, every day, every day. And then he started noticing something. Things weren't happening. He wasn't losing anything. Well, come to find out that Steve, at some point along the journey, felt like the chocolate meal replacement shake wasn't tasty enough. So he started to do something. Steve started to take these mini bite-sized Snicker bars and add them to the meal replacement shake and blend them up in there to the point that he was using full-size King Snickers bars and blending an entire King-size Snickers bar every morning as a meal replacement shake and wondering why he wasn't seeing the benefits that this meal replacement shake was supposed to give him. Why? Well, the reality of it is he had put back in the thing that needed to be removed for him to gain access to the good that that thing was trying to do, such as repentance. See, as a Christian, we want to remove repentance and just get the benefit. We want it to taste good and taste sweet and be, oh, it's just, I love this. I'm just going to add this and I can add this back in and I can add this back in. As long as it looks like I'm doing the right thing, well, then it must serve the same purpose. God, I came to church. God, I prayed a prayer. God, I even walked an aisle. Why isn't something changing? Have you repented? No, but I did all those things. Heal this thing. No, you need to repent. You don't get access to the healing until there is a changing of the heart. 
And you can't keep believing that you can keep putting things in and adding things back in that he said get out and you get the same benefit. See, most believers, man, we, we, we run to the altar when we first get saved and we just want to get it all out. Everything that, that, that you find in me, it's wicked. Get it all out. I'm not going there. I'm not going to look at this. I'm not going to have this in my life. I'm not going to think this way. And then the further we get away from the cross, well, that wasn't that bad. This thought wasn't that bad. What I was watching, that really didn't affect me that much. I'm better now. I can control this. Oh, I have much more control now. Now that Jesus is somehow, like Jesus' job was to give you control on to handle that sin that was in you. So you can put it back in there. No. No. The Bible says that if you, all of us, not just first-time believers, but we believe in a doctrine of repentance, an ongoing repentance. Father, every day, if there's something that you find, Father, if there's something you find in me that is wicked, reveal it to me so that I can get it out and repent before you. And no, here's the beautiful thing. I can do it in worship because I know you're not condemning me. You're convicting me on your life. So I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful that you came down to do what I couldn't do. Show me even more. I want every benefit of the Creator. And if it has to come with me admitting I'm broken, man, let it be so. Let me never get so far away from repentance that I've grown so sure of myself and so self-righteous that I miss the very benefits of what we all claim to want. You hearing me today? Does this make sense? Thanks for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can text Freedom Prayer to 94000 and send us your prayer request. And don't forget to find us on social media at Freedom Church STL. You can also find more info on our website at freedomchurchstl.com.